Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill, and I'm the Chief Diversity Officer here at the AAVMC. Now, today we're going to be talking about conflict resolution. Uh, longtime listeners, you may know that um, or may remember that we discussed conflict resolution maybe about two years ago in episode or uh, yeah, in episode 99 with Drs. Kanita Rogers and uh, Nance um, um, Augert. So uh, today we're revisiting this conversation um, because conflict never goes away. Um, to the point, I was kind of prepping for today's show. And according to some market data that I re- reviewed, about half of all employees see conflict um, primarily in the workplace, primarily due to interpersonal issues. So kind of, you know, different communication styles, different personalities, maybe a little ego. Um, and about a third noted that workplace stress um, is kind of the triggering, the, the kind of instigation of conflict along with heavy workload. Right. And the reality is it just goes downhill from there. Um, About one fourth of employees cite leadership or managerial failures, um, even dishonesty kind of causing um, conflict in the work environment. Um, And what's really interesting is kind of some of the impact of this. Right. So in the U.S., about 58 percent of U.S. workers quit their jobs because of disruptive workplace conflicts, right? And that's from a study from um, Randstad, uh, US. Um, Another 40%, so almost all of your employees, right, um, want to quit because of the office culture or they don't feel like they fit in, right? Now, from any perspective, these data are troublesome. Um, But from a DEI perspective, this is particularly um, troublesome for me. I kind of raise my eyeballs and, um, you know, stretch my eyes a little bit when I hear some of this data. Now, we discuss workplace culture, burnout, all of these things all of the time. Um, And even in hiring uh, situations, even in kind of admissions, sometimes we have conversations about fit assessment and what does it mean to kind of fit into the office culture? Um, And what if that that office culture is already toxic and you're just looking for somebody who can withstand that, right? Um, And so these are really big things for us to kind of consider. Um, You know, nearly half of all staff also kind of wonder if they fit in an environment that's, you know, from a climate perspective, where I study institutional climates, that really, like, I would be burning down places. Like, I really would be having some serious conversations with AAVMC member institutions if 40% of their students said they didn't fit in. So um, additionally, while I haven't seen any data specific to conflicts with clients out in the clinical setting, um, 
you know, we know that this is an area that is really in need of exploration. Kind of what is that, what is triggering some of those conflicts? Certainly some of it might be finance. Some of it is communication, all of these kinds of things. Um, But there's a lot of chatter about the role of client behavior with veterinarians and veterinary staff um, and um, its impact on workplace well-being and burnout and all of those things. So we're really challenged by both our clients, um, you know, in clinical settings, but also just the folks we actually work with, our colleagues. And so um, today we're going to talk about a little bit of skill building in this area, because I think that this is a space that we all could be doing a lot better in veterinary medicine. So um, to that end, my guest today is my special AVMC colleague, Dr. Heather Fadesco. Welcome to the pod. Thanks, Lisa. Um, I'll give you a little bit about my background. I'm the assistant director of the Spectrum of Care Initiative at AABMC. So I'm helping to think strategically about how to make deep level curricular changes in veterinary education. Of course, in doing so, that leads to some conflict and also how the strategies to get through that. But um, I received my PhD in interpersonal communication from Purdue University. And um, that degree has been pretty great because it set me up for a lot of different op- really cool opportunities. But um, part of that training included focusing on, you know, how to communicate to others to affect change, to affect behavior change, which then also includes how to, you know, manage conflict, handle conflict resolution and things like that. I love learning about the topic. I love teaching about the topic. It's uh, super pervasive and it's a salient issue. And so um, whenever I could incorporate into my classes with students, I loved sort of talking through that. I mean, people are interested to learn how to hone these skills, right? Uh, And then, you know, thinking about some professional development programming that we could develop to help colleagues sort of manage manage this better. I did some of that work while at University of Georgia, coming up with some programming there as well. So it's a great topic to discuss. Um, We can never stop talking about it and we can never get stop being good at it. I am constantly trying to figure out how I can do a better job at managing conflict too. So I might know a thing or two, but still takes a lot of practice to be good yes. at. Right? So I'm happy <laughs> to talk in the moment, right? In oh the moment, God. like pulling one skills can be hard. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, really what we all should be doing is just tons of simulations. Like <laughs> who's got time for that? But that's how you build the skills, right? But you yeah. know. Yeah, you got to work the muscle and make sure that you're kicking that info all the way up to the front of the brain where you can actually, you know, respond appropriately. So, well, I'm so glad that you are on the show. Of course, um, for those of you who do know, um, I don't share the background with Heather, but we do have um, the org development and org change piece um, in, in common. And I also just want to shout out Purdue and UGA because you name checked them and there are vet schools there. So, um, you know, we got to get our points when we can. <laughs> great programs, great schools. Love being part of those institutions for sure. So let's get into it. So, um, you know, let's talk about conflict. Like we kind of know it when we see it. We certainly know it when we experience it because typically we even have a physical kind of auto response to it, right? Somatic responses to it. So really kind of what is co- conflict in a nutshell? Yeah, from like a, a definitional standpoint, conflict happens when people have incompatible needs, beliefs, goals, behavior. So it's just this sort of this incompatibility. The way that you want to do something is not the same way that I want to do something. The way that you believe something is not the same way that I believe something. And that incompatibility increases when we become more interdependent. So when your goals or behaviors 
are more likely to impact my goals and my behaviors. And so that, um, you know, increases opportunities for conflict. Um, and so you can imagine the more, you know, interdependent you are, like your, your colleagues that you work with every single day, right? You're going to have a lot more interdependence than maybe someone um, that you have, you see once every, every year or something like that. Um, and so the more your goals, your behaviors intertwine, the more interdependence, the greater likelihood for conflict. And, you know, that being said, I, I will say it, it's sort of sometimes rooted in that interdependence. Interdependence is is like an important thing for interpersonal relationships. So that's a good thing, right? Sometimes it's like, oh, hey, we have some conflict here because we are so connected. That's not a bad mm-hmm. thing. Um, and conflict, again, isn't inherently bad, right? There's a lot of benefits to it um, and benefits that can come out of it. Like, you know, it signals a need for change. And while change can be uncomfortable, that's how we make progress and keep moving forward in our lives and in society. So um, we do need that conflict to keep moving forward. It's normal. It's inevitable. Um, it happens all the time. But if you sort of remain quiet about it, um, you miss opportunities for problem diagnosis. I mean, don't we want things to get better, right? So like if we feel that conflict, that's a signal that there's an opportunity for us to kind of figure out what's going on, problem diagnose and try to move forward. And then of course, if you manage it well, on the other side of it, um, you get improvements in goal clarity and creativity and personal growth and then enhanced trust in that relationship with the person that you're having conflict with. So um, there's a lot of good things that come out of it even if initially those incompatibilities of goals, needs, beliefs, behaviors, if that kind of feels a little bit rough at the start. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable, right? And so, you know, um, so I mentioned some data um, at the beginning where, you know, you talk about like, you have to kind of be willing to work on that resolution. Well, you know, like over half of people are like, uh, no, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, you know, and I think that that certainly in the last, what, two years, semi post pandemic with the great resignation where a lot of um, values at um, workplaces and institutions really changed. We kind of all got used to wearing our T-shirts and, and leggings or sweatpants. <laughs> we did not want to stop wearing them. Right. And so like some of these things really started kind of um um, really triggering a lot of conflict um, in the workplace. And so then we had like the great resignation, which is supposed to have been kind of tapered out. But the big takeaway for me was, you know, like over 50% of people are like, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. So why is it hard? Why do we kind of tuck and run? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot of reasons why it's hard. And none of it's surprising, but um, I mean, the first one that we've mentioned is just like all the emotions involved. It's hot emotions, right? Um, like you said, you you know, when you have, when you're experiencing conflict, because you feel it and you do, there's psychosomatic responses to it. Our like adrenaline kicks in, our, our heart races faster and you feel some negative emotions and, and that prevents us from thinking rationally. Um, and we sometimes need to think rationally if we want to effectively manage conflict. Not not to say that um, in a conflict situation, you have to remove all emotions. That's not, yeah. that's not the goal there. But um, if you're flooded with emotions, it's hard to tap into your rational brain to kind of work through that, right? So um, that feels, it can just feel bad. And that emotional piece, that's, that's certainly one part of it. And that 
the tough part about that, and I'll say I'm I am not a clinical psychologist, though I like to think I'm somewhat of an enthusiast. So I've thought about this idea of emotions. Um, you know, hot emotions during conflict, super normal. That's predictable. Um, but some people have complicated relationships with emotions that kind of goes down to this clinical level. So like you might have conflict, a complicated relationship with emotions, whether it's like how you express your emotions or how you react to other people's emotions that stems from your upbringing, right? And then the person you're having the conflict with might also have that complicated relationship with emotions. And so that might look like some people are sort of they just internalize their feelings. They get uncomfortable with other people's expressions of emotions, and that could activate their fight, flight, or freeze responses, right? Um, and so, or, you know, when they see somebody else, you know, getting angry, it, it shuts them down, right? And of course, if like your sympathetic nervous system has shut you down, how are you supposed to like engage in conflict, like effective management, right? Um, so that's really hard. Other people externalize their feelings and are more inclined to let those negative emotions show. Um, and showing anger is okay. That a lot of times it's appropriate to signal that like, hey, this is not okay. This is a big deal. It matters. We need to address this. But of course, up to a point if that anger can, you know, get a little bit messy, leads to, um, you know, just some disrespects, threats, aggression. That's not a workplace we want to be a part of, right? So there's a line uh, for how people express that anger. And then the other, again, more clinical piece is that sometimes if, you know, if we dip back into people's, um, you know, reactions to their emotions, if you are a person who has prolonged trauma as a child, your emotional development can freeze at the age at which you've had that trauma. So if you've ever witnessed an adult having a legit temper tantrum because they aren't getting what they want, it's like, I, I mean, I've seen people lose their minds. Like my child, my three-year-old does when I say you can't watch another episode of Bluey. Like it's sometimes, it's like, you're like, what is happening here? And if you, you know, if you take a step back in all likelihood, if they are acting like a child, the sad part is it may have been because of some unresolved and unprocessed trauma. And that that is an unfortunate thing. But those are the people that we sometimes are dealing with, right? Like that person might be the client that is angry at you for not helping their dog in the way that they wanted to. And now they're threatening to sue you or... Yeah could be your colleague, your associate dean that you're trying to work with to make curricular changes. And they might have they might bring this to the table when you're trying to navigate yeah. this like complex situation. And that is hard, right? It's really hard. I mean, you know, like you you talked about your three-year-old, um, you know, this kind of the maturity around um uh emotional regulation, right? And and it can be really hard. And and as you mentioned, you know, um, childhood trauma can have a huge impact because you kind of get stuck there unless you really kind of work through it. Now, keep in mind, like some of the well-being data show that most uh, veterinary students have at least one um, adverse childhood experience, right? Now, that doesn't mean that they're ever all going to fly off the handle, but it does mean that they may have some predisposed um, kind of leanings to um, not necessarily process or um, manage emotions and regulate them, um, you know, at an age appropriate way. <laughs> right. And that, like, I mean, that's, uh, to me, that's the trickiest part of all is that, that emotional piece. And I think we all have to do the work of like 
figuring out where we're at and how we express our emotions and and react to other people's. And I mean, you talk about veterinarians, like that's a lot of personal development work. And some folks don't have the time, even though it is valuable, right? But like it's work on top of all the other work. I'll I'll also add to, so, so that's some of the emotional piece, but like tied a little bit to that, there's also like, we engage in so many like perceptual biases when we're engaging in conflict. So when we feel like when our emotions are rising, like we said, we can't, we can't think rationally as well. And so we rely on some, or we make some perceptual errors. Right. Mm -hmm. And so some of those errors are dramatically oversimplifying the situation. So we're more likely to make stereotypical judgments, placing the blame on the other person, ignoring important information, we might see conflict as worse than the, than it actually is. And maybe sometimes we're like, it's not even worth our time to deal with, you know, all the effort it takes to resolve this. So I'm going to step away. Um, we have this idea maybe that cooperating with the other person means that we're losing. And so like, if the person I'm fighting with is happy, I must be losing. And that's not a good thing, right? Um we assume that we know what other people are thinking or that we are expressing ourselves clearly and effectively that they must they know what I'm saying. Like I've just, I've just explained to you what I'm saying. I, I was crystal clear. Obviously you should get what I'm saying. And then of course, like we always think that we're acting fair, more responsible, more deserving than everyone else, that we are the better person in that conflict. Cause we have access to that information. We know our motivations, we know our interests, we know our needs, and we don't know the other persons. And so all of these um, errors are. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, from a diversity perspective, Heather, like that just opens up the floodgates for things like, you know, unconscious bias, um, all of the icky stuff that might be lingering in the subconscious starts just kind of coming up, especially when we're talking about cross-cultural conflict, cross-racial conflict, sometimes cross-age conflict, like, you know, boomers and millennials are like... (laughs) most darn millennials and I'm like they are 40 (laughs) not babies anymore (laughs) I mean they might still be living in your basement because they're poor but not like you know it's it's like they're grown (laughs) chill out right and so we have these generational pieces um and it just makes the conflict escalate you know, it really makes that conflict escalate. I will admit I was on TikTok last night. Here comes a TikTok story. And it was um, two people who apparently had gotten into a little squabble over a parking space, right? Okay. Like we've all kind of stalked the person <laughs> up and down the aisles trying to get to the parking space. And um, the the very angry young man was uh, a soldier, had uniform on, and he, he went nuts. He got the parking space, but you know, the other folks were like, we got a parking space, but it was like, Hey, you know, you cut in front of us. And, and they just kind of wanted like to do a little check and Hey, you know, just acknowledge that you stole the parking space, some accountability, right? No, he flipped out. And the next thing you know, he starts like taking off his uniform. Like he is going (laughs) to do something. And it was just like, he was escalating and they were like, okay, but dude, it's really just a parking space. Calm down. But man, like, and, and again, I'm like jumping, like what, like, let's go through his traumas. Let's figure out like why this is his reaction. And like, I mean, and it is like in interacting with the toddler, isn't it? Like, yeah. 
just a meltdown. Oh my gosh. Epic meltdown, right? It was an epic meltdown. But I also really appreciated, um, you know, this kind of win-lose piece because I think that we also are living in such a polarized period of time where like folks just seem to assume that everything is a zero-sum game, right? There is no space for compromise. What is moderate? But we don't have that anymore, right? There's no moderate. Like, I'm not really sure what that is. Is it, you know, and even then you're like, is that moderate to the left or moderate to the right? Right? We're still kind of trying to um, um, parse those things out. And so this winners versus losers thing really becomes problematic because it's like, um, you know, it's that, um, what is the metaphor? Like, oh, you know, um, if you get something, Heather, then there's less pie for me if you get a piece. Yeah. Right. And um, and I'm like, I mean, we can just bake another pie. It's just, it's just pie. Why are we fighting about this? Like, uh, you get a piece, I get a piece, we get another pie. It's not a big deal, but it is this kind of zero sum. Yeah. Well, and there, so there is some, a lot of like research on, when people will sort of compete in a conflict situation versus when they'll cooperate. And like, I mean, like the secret is let's all try to cooperate, right? Like that's like, that's like conflict, constructive conflict resolution, but obviously not everyone brings that energy to a conflict. Right. Um, But there are some factors that will increase or decrease the likelihood, whether you're in this competitive win, lose game or not. And so there's, um, you know, there's there's something called social value orientation. And so some some people are just predisposed to respond to conflicts in either pro-self ways or pro-social ways. So that's sort of like a natural characteristic. Some people are natural cooperators. They want to maximize their own outcomes and the outcomes of the other person. That's great. Um, But some people are individualists and they want to maximize their own outcomes and like not even thinking about the other person, but I want want to get what I need. and then there are some people who are natural competitors where it's like, not only do I want to get what I need, I want you to lose out. Like, I don't want you to get anything, right? So that's mm-hmm. sometimes, the that's the orientation that some people are bringing to the table. Um, but you may be familiar with, with some of the research on the prisoner's dilemma game. It's this simulation of social interaction. It's used in experiments to, um, you know, figure out how whether people will cooperate or compete. And so in some of that research, um, they found that some people are are more likely to compete when the stakes are higher. So if like there's more resources up for grabs that might activate our competitive side. Um, if they don't expect that they, they'll interact with that person again, they're more likely to compete. That makes sense. Um, and like even like a simple thing of like in their mind, labeling the other person as a competitor versus a partner activates our co- competition side. Um, so the cool part about that is that that feels like a simple thing of like, if you just shift your mindset, if you are in conflict with somebody and shift your mindset to see them as a partner, not like an adversary, um, that might help you get a little bit more to that cooperation. But the other interesting stuff on that research is like, there's this norm of reciprocity. So like, you know, whatever you do in one situation, I'm, I'm more likely to reciprocate. Um, so if you're more likely to help me in a situation, I'm more likely to reciprocate back. That's that's a good thing. Um, if you are out to get me, and like, I'm more likely to retaliate. So like that sort of an eye for an eye mentality. But the tough part about that is that that negative reciprocity tends to be stronger than the positive reciprocity. So while we are more likely to sort of return kindness with kindness, we are even more likely to return unkindness with hostility. So we like escalate that payback. And 
the other part is like that sort of the norms that we're setting in like a workplace culture. Um, if if a, if you have a competitive person in that environment, um, people are like, even if you are a cooperative person, people are quicker to turn competitive than they are to turn cooperative. So like that, that if you think about the people who make up a workplace, if you've got one person or a couple people that are really competitive, and especially in that conflict, everyone in that group is probably going to merge to that sort of norm of competitive conflict management. Um, even if you do have some people who are predisposed to be cooperative. So that is, that's getting at the like, the culture shift that you need to make in how to chip away at that competitive drive because it once you start like that's that toxicity once you walk yeah. into that this is an eye for an eye type of establishment ugh, it just feels terrible and um it's not going to lead to constructive conflict resolution so um it it so that's some of the some of the things that sort of get us to into that competing um i need to win and you need to lose in conflict and that it's just not helpful yeah yeah so heather's not saying we're all trash <laughs> i'm sorry wanting to compete all over the single slice of pie but she is saying some of us have some issues we need to work on. We do need to work on them. And <laughs> I say that I am a competitive person. I'm an athlete. I love that. And all there's like healthy competition, right? It's not a yeah. bad thing. But like when you, I mean, take a step back when we're thinking about like resources and, and yeah, people's seriously. needs. And like, if you're, if you are walking into a personal situation where you want the other person to lose out on like basic needs, like what is wrong with you? Like, come on. Yeah. yeah. But it's that scarcity model, right? If you believe that there's just not enough, so I got to get mine first, then you're going to be more likely to kind of fall into some of these traps. And I mean, I can tell you from my own experience, and I will readily admit to folks on the pod that um, it's taken me a long time (laughs) to get um, to the way that I try to manage conflict. And um, fortunately, that has come from both the DEI work, but also from um, parenting <laughs> and also kind of parenting a child who has experienced some trauma, right? And and really just kind of like, I can't escalate this. Like, that will be very, very bad. Yeah. And so, you know, I literally have to stop when someone says, I mean, people say some crazy stuff to me in this job. (laughs) People say some crazy things, but I just literally have to stop, put a smile on or a small smile and just stay in the moment. Like, and, and oftentimes, you know, we are, especially if we're competitive and we want to be right. And it's not even, even if it's not that we want people to lose, like one of the kind of default settings for me is, I want you to come over here to this side. Like, I want you to have an open mindset and this and that, you know? And so, like, I can't beat people down and try to win and expect them to buy into this DEI stuff. Like, that's not going to, those two things don't go together. So I've really had to learn how to just, in some ways, it feels like pushing it down, but it's like, no, I can't have that type of reaction right now. Yeah. And that's like meeting people where they're at, right? So if like if that's if they cannot see the things the way that you see things, like like you got to meet them where they're at. But the the icky part is sometimes you're like you are like you're a bad person, right? Like 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 if if you are like racist, right? You're like 
I've got no compassion for you. And that's like, we're, we're trying to perspective take and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, sometimes I hate to say that there are lost causes, but like, right. Sometimes there are lost causes, but I, I'd like to think that most people can, can move forward in the right direction and you can kind of just get there. But I believe that a lot of folks. And so, you know, even then there, there's kind of like so many things are happening. I'm trying not to re- overreact and trying to kind of keep the regulation. I'm also trying to assess whether or not this is a lost cause or not. <laughs> Because yep. <laughs> if it's a if I feel like I can't make an impact in the you know front of the room after the talk, literally you got three minutes. If that, if I can't make any type of impact after talking for an hour and now talking for three minutes, like I'm like it is so nice to meet you. Good luck. Yeah, <laughs> you know, enjoy your, your interactions with other people. Miserable. <laughs> Good luck with that future conflict. Um, so, Heather, we know that you know um, diversity is is. We certainly at AABMC believe diversity is good. It's one of our core values. Um, but we also know from you know a lot of research around diversity in the workplace is yes, it has great outcomes. Yes, you can have better um, abilities to um, do more complex problem solving. All of those kinds of things. What doesn't get talked about as much is the um, the the correlation with increased conflict, right? In terms of things like, you know, yeah, we different have different perspectives. We're coming from different backgrounds. Like these are all the things that we lean into to solve problems. But then, like, we have you know a little chaos in the break room. Yeah. <laughs> so you know how you know, how can we talk about that in a more meaningful way um, in terms of like, hey, um, let's also help prepare ourselves to work in these diverse environments. Because even if you're not like working in an air quote um, for the audio version, air quote, um, diverse working environment, it's coming Mm -hmm. (laughs) to a place near you (laughs) probably later this week. Like it's moving that quickly, right? So, So, you know, how do we help coach people to be prepared for that. Well, I, I mean, and that goes down back to the definition of, of conflict, right? Where it's like, it, it's incompatibility, like in, in the way that people think, their lived experiences, their preferences, their cultural norms, their professional training, like all of that, all those differences increases the opportunities for incompatibility. And so, um, yeah, so the more diverse a, a workplace setting is, the more likely that you might experience some conflict. And like, obviously, if everyone were identical, we'd approach problems exactly the same. We'd think exactly the same. There would be no butting heads. There would be no incompatibility. We'd just go on. But like, as you said, there would then be no creativity, no more effective problem solving, more like, uh, you know, better performing teams. So it's like, okay, what do we do with that? Um, And, you know, I think the other tricky part, like we were talking about, right, is like in conflict, we're more likely to make some perceptual perceptual errors. And so then if you are like interacting with someone who, you know, feels very different than you for any number of reasons why a person might be different, then your ability to like increase those like stereotypical judgments might creep in and just make the the situation worse, right? Like, like, you know, she's mad because she's just an overly sensitive woman, right? Like that, like just devaluing that or like, he doesn't know the best course of action because he's a vet tech and I'm the veterinarian, right? So when you start like like separating things out, you make those simple judgments and discount other people's sort of contributions. Um, that gets tough. But like, 
you know, I think I just, it's not a simple solution, but like, you just got to do the work of, of perspective taking, right? So like authentic perspective taking, where you try to understand where the other person is coming from. And so being aware of the differences and some of that is just like figuring out who's on your team, right? Like, so if you're just facing the team that we're like, what's the landscape, what's the composition of this group? And then let me take some time to figure out what their perceptions might be, what their lived experiences might be. And if you can do some like team building, like, you know, some, some well, highly, like nicely facilitated, moderated team building stuff where people can get to know each other better. Great. Um, But sometimes like, I mean, like do the work of figuring out like what people who are a different race than you or gender or sexuality or any of those things do the work of figuring out what it's like by like reading some books, listening to some podcasts, following some people on social media, just to get a sense of like, Oh, they're, that's why they, they, they might react in these settings because of this particular experience. Yeah. Right. So it's work, but, but it's out there. That's like the beauty of like this day and age is like, yes, we can. I, I've, you know, there's, there's this idea of like in the nineties, we, we thought about like the world as like this, like monoculture, right. Because we had like, like the one thing reporting on like the pop music that yeah. everyone liked. And then the yeah. internet comes around and we get all these different avenues, which is exciting and great, but that's, you know, like it's also yeah. showing light on that. Like, Oh, we have different preferences and beliefs and, and, yeah. and things like that. But that it also means that you have access, easy access to yeah. other people's experiences to just try to do more authentic perspective taking, because that's sort of the first step, right? Like you are upset. I need to try to figure out why you are upset. I'm going to do my best to communicate. But if I have access to other information about like what, mm-hmm. what might be making you upset without you having to like, cl- like clarify like your whole lived experience, right? Like then that helps. That's going to help. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it is, you know, to be clear for folks watching and listening, um, the literature also says that the return on investment is worth it, right? That, that even with that conflict that might be experienced with the diversity, that it's actually worth it, um, in the long haul. So don't use that as an excuse, right? (laughs) Besides that, the data seems like, there's already plenty of excuses. Don't blame it on that one. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's like it's like preventative medicine, right? Like you're yeah. like you don't do the work now. Like you're going to pay for it later in terms yeah. of like the the just yeah. the cost of not like figuring out how to work with people Other who work better than yeah. Like it's right. it's it's going right. to be. So um, we know that that conflict also can be tied to well-being. Well-being is a huge issue in the profession. Um, so one, I kind of like to hear your thoughts on that. And then we're going to move into like, okay, so how do people navigate this, right? But what are your thoughts on some of that conflict and the well-being piece? I mean, like, absolutely. Like, they are absolutely, conflict and well-being are absolutely, like, interconnected. And I'll, 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 I was thinking about... Um, some of the interactions I've had with our practitioners and our workforce. Um, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing for the spectrum of care initiative is like focusing on training veterinarians to improve their communication mm-hmm. skills, to practice non-judgment, um, emp- practice empathy, collaborative decision-making. And, and one of the veterinarians was like, you know, a lot of my friends, we were like on the cusp of going into human medicine versus like veterinary medicine. And we chose veterinary medicine 
to avoid working with people, but like you got to work with people, not only on like your staff, but like you got to work with the animals, like their owner, right? Like you can't ask the animal, like you got an upset belly, like tell me more, right? So, so like, I think, you know, sometimes some veterinarians might go into the profession to avoid some, some human interaction that, um, that is tough because that's like, come to find out, like that's <laughs> immersed in it. Right. And that can make them feel a bit uncomfortable. Right. And and not everyone is as comfortable with conflict as we've talked about. Right. Um, but yeah, so like, so with conflict, there are higher levels of stress that leads to some like psychosomatic issues, like headache, muscle tension, racing heart, all that stuff. It's connected to feelings of burnout. Like when you have, when it's so emotional and you're, you're having feelings of anger and distrust and fear, like that's in your body. Right. And that can threaten your self-esteem. It can, it like you just described all the cognitive things in a given moment that you have to consider in that moment to know how to react, like all that cognitive load that is, that is having an effect. Right. And so your adrenaline's kicking in like all that, all that's going on. And if you have sustained conflict over time, like all those have physical, like all those physical effects, like some like long-term negative outcomes. There's also connections then with like, um, you know, increases in rumination. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a conflict, I think about it for a long time. Right. Yeah. All night. all night so then you get you get like loss in sleep right because you're ruminating loss in sleep there there's associations with increase in alcohol intake so we know all of that is connected to our physical and psychological well-being um and all that can certainly impact our levels of depression as well so yeah it it is a hundred percent intertwined and then you think about the backdrop of like veterinary medicine which is a high stakes profession so like I mean, the work itself is stressful. And then you've got, you've got these other human problems to deal with when you're trying to save the life of a certain pet, right? When you introduce all these other sort of conflicts from the people involved in that, oh man, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. 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 I mean, I often tell people, you know, when we talk about um, conflict, particularly with between um, practitioners or the veterinary team and clients, you know, I'm like, Look, they they actually are um, that do continue to still have a high level of trust in the medicine. What they don't have a high level of trust is and is your ability to communicate to them with them at their level. Yeah, right. You're not meeting them where they are. You're not meeting them. They're not they're not feeling connected as a collaborator, as a partner in this process. And I mean, this is not unique to veterinary medicine. This is this particular kind of um, issue is an issue across health professions is one of the reasons uh, among many, um, including like the, okay, here's the stress bunch of people um, who are experiencing health disparities. Like a lot of that is because of the stress, but it's also because practitioners (laughs) are not able to meet them where they are, right? Which just makes you kind of end up in this like conflict vortex, if you will, right? It doesn't, it just continues to escalate until it turns into a Yelp review or worse. Or worse. (laughs) You know? And like, I mean, I've also heard things too from a lot of practitioners that like, like they see the client as the barrier to them practicing Mm. good medicine, right? Mm. So if I'm about to walk into that room and I'm looking at that client thinking they are 
a competitor. They are the barrier that shifts my mindset to a competition in this conflict. And that's not how we're going to resolve the situation. We're not going to be able to effectively work together, right? But if you walk in that room thinking like, this is my partner, um, I need to work with this client together. We are partners in the journey of trying to help their pet. That's what we're all here for. I mean, that's a small step and it's certainly not going to overcome a lot of things, but that mindset shift could help, right? Like you're setting yourself up for disaster if you walk in that room thinking that client is your adversary. It's just- Yeah, yeah. Like they're in the way, despite the fact that like they have the Amex. (laughs) They love love their pet more than you, right? So like- Yeah, yeah. So work together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely- um, it's it's definitely a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that mindset, you know, um, of that kind of adversarial mindset sets up the whole team really to kind of, you know, again, it, I mean, there creates a, a larger power imbalance between the client and the practitioner, um, <clears throat> you know, and I mean, with respect to spectrum of care, it becomes a really big issue because, you know, if we're training students to perform at a very high level and they're learning in, you know, tertiary hospitals, they got specialists all over the place, um, you know, and that's where they're doing some of that primary learning in the academic program. And then they're kind of coming out into the field and they're like, yeah, but I want to offer you the $7,000 care package. And the family is like, wow, now I feel like crap because not only can I not um, afford that, but I feel like you're going to like diss me if I tell you that. And like, I'm not really sure what to do because we're down in the 3000 level. (laughs) That's what we can afford. And that's a good scenario with like actually four digits. Right. (laughs) And the, the uncertainty of it all, right? So like, if I'm, if I'm the client and I like, I need to trust you, but you've just hit me with this $7,000 price tag. I know nothing about veterinary medicine and I'm trying to figure out like, like, are you like, then you might like, are you trying to make a buck or like, isn't there something else? Isn't there something else we can do? I mean, so now you're at like, as the client, you're at such a, disadvantage because you're like, I need to help my animal. I don't understand the landscape. I don't understand why this is costing so much and why the veterinarian may not be willing to offer anything else. Right. But there are things that they can do. There absolutely are things that practitioners are doing every single day. Yeah. 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 So, um, all right. Some steps. What do people do to kind of uh, constructively conflict resolutes yeah. <laughs> or resolve. Well, and I, I mean, I, I mean it when I say this and maybe you and I can develop some, some authentic simulation experiences where we hit the road and just like get people to practice. So I, I'm going to give you some of the tips, but of course, easier said than done. We got to practice these things. Sure, sure. Um, but these are, these are some of the things that I sort of, uh, I've taught other people and that I like to try to remind myself, um, is focusing on interests, right. And you've, I, you've heard this before, um, not the positions of the person, not the requests, but like, what, why are they making those requests? What's behind the ask? What's behind the reason why they want to go to like path A and why it's not working with me. I want to go path B. Where are we both coming from? Um, and so to actually help you focus on interest, we got to do some active listening. We got to act like we've got to be curious about 
the other person's differing opinion rather than this set of like, I need to win and like spend my time talking at you, explaining why I'm right. Take Mm. a pause and focus on curiosity of why are they coming from where they're coming from? Let me gather more information about them. Um, in, in, a, in a good way, an active listening way, that's asking questions with the actual goal of learning. It's paraphrasing back to check your understanding to make sure you actually are listening and acknowledging the other person's thoughts and feelings, you know, through verbal, nonverbal messages. And that, that like, when a person actually feels like if you're in a conflict and if that other person, like that client, actually feels like you are trying to understand where they're coming from, just that act alone of feeling like you've been listened to can diffuse that emotional response. And it makes it easier for other people to reciprocate listening behaviors and sort of work together. So like it, it like practice your active listening skills. It will save you in all of these settings. Um and then, so that's helping a little bit with the emotional tech, you know, the emotional part, but we've talked about that managing emotions during conflict, I think is the hardest thing. Like it is just, we all need to do better at it. It's stressful. It like, it feels bad. We, some of us want to run away, dig in a hole, freeze. Others want to fight, you know, like yeah. it's just, it's hard. So I think that's where we got to do the work on ourselves and like identify our triggers what's our reactions to emotions? Like when I'm noticing somebody else has an emotional reaction, how do I react and why? Why do I act that way? Oh, you know, why do I express my anger in, in this type of way? Let's figure out those triggers because like that's the first step in, mm-hmm. in sort of overcoming the triggers, understanding ourselves. Um, and so that that's some work. That's some personal development work. Oh, it's, it's work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, let's do it, right? Like it's going to help us like, not be so scared of emotions, right? Like let's, let's do that work. Um, you said yourself, you like to take time out. So that's a great one, right? Like, and that's, that, that's like, could actually be taking a time out. Like I, I hear you or we're having this moment here. I'm not going to be able to effectively communicate. So I'm going to take a little walk and, and we will come back and talk about this, but let's both calm down. But you can also take a little mental break in that moment. If you feel like you can't like actually walk away. Right. And right. Like the the way that I, you know, this is that sort of clinical psychology again, it's like when you're feeling that emotion, you have to get out of that sympathetic nervous system that has got you like you're on high alert, you're all the signals in your brain are going off and you got to move to that parasympathetic, like nerve, you know, yeah. a, a nervous system, right. Where you can relax a little bit more. So that means like breathing techniques, right. Can you, can you take some breaths? There's like sensory grounding techniques. Can you List the five things that you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and something that you can taste. I mean, ground yourself in the moment so that you get out of that amygdala and just sort of like, yeah, you're not going to take away, you're not going to get to zero, right? Like, right, <laughs> calm yourself down so maybe your sort of rational brain can can jump in a little bit. And then there's other techniques for reappraising conflict, right? So this is all mental game, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. There's a lot of mental energy, mental tricks that we can do to help ourselves respond better to that conflict. And so, one of my favorite experiments that was done in um, some romantic relationship intervention studies was done by Eli Finkel and some college some colleagues. Um, so they asked couples to reappraise conflict in a in a specific way. Um, and so basically, it's considering the conflict from a neutral third party perspective. So you you might 
like, here's the prompt. So you might say like, so think about your specific disagreement with your colleague from the perspective of a neutral third party who wants the best for everyone involved. So that goes activates that cooperation. So this person sees things from a neutral point of view. How might the person think about the disagreement and how might they find the good that can come of it? So you start asking yourself these questions. Um, you might then follow up that prompt by saying, you know, it's helpful to take this, this third-party perspective during interactions with others, but some people find it challenging to do that. Um, so what challenges? Start listing the yeah. challenges of taking this neutral third-party perspective during a disagreement. So you're identifying the obstacles. Um, and then you remind yourself, well, people can still be successful despite those obstacles. So try your best to keep taking that third-party perspective during interactions with your colleague, especially during disagreements. Um, how do you think you can be successful in, in this perspective taking um, maybe over the next couple of weeks or months? How might this perspective taking help you better manage disagreements in your relationship? So that's like a quick, that's like a prompt that's used in experimental studies. And if you do that, there's a lot of benefits that could come of it. I would recommend thinking about like journal about it, write it down, talk with another colleague or a family member or a friend to be like, here's the situation. Help me take this neutral third pe person perspective. Um, so I can just sort of diffuse the situation a little bit better. And then you might um, see some progress there. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we've talked, we've talked about like, consider that person your partner not your adversarial and then or your adversary and then do the work of learning about other people's perspectives yeah so, those are some steps so yeah i mean it really is a mind game right yeah. it really really is about how do you how do you get yourself to kind of just move to a different space and um you know i've often talked over the years on the show and certainly outside of the show about my mentor um the wonderful illustrious pet Patricia Lowry. And I remember calling her because I had a major conflict with a group. Just, I mean, I was losing sleep. I was like, just really, really wound up about it. And she said, well, you know, what would success look like? Right. What would success look like? And, you know, initially the first thought is that I win. Because <laughs> like, <Right>. <laughs> I'm right. Right. Because I'm right. And I'm like, okay, now that we've vocalized that, let's put that on the shelf because that is actually not appropriate. Like that's, this is, I got to reframe this. And, and I mean, that was kind of a piece, I mean, very simple kind of a prompt and I use it. I tell people all the time, like, what does success look like? Um, and for me, that prompt has, is one of my go-tos. Like, I just, I'm like, okay. So how am I going to either get out of this situation with minimal conflict? How am I going to diffuse conflict? Like, and sometimes, you know, your idea of what success looks like might be really, really high on your spectrum or whatever. And you realize in that moment that success actually looks like nobody throwing a punch. Like, you know, like, right. But I mean, you know, realistically, like that, you know, I don't know if I can make uh, this person see my perspective, but what I can do is listen. That's all I can do. I might disagree, but I'm actually going to make sure that I am also sending a lot of nonverbal skills that I'm in present and that I'm in this moment with them and that I am in good faith listening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
And I think it's like, it's making me think of like, you're activating like your observer mentality, which also, if you activate that part of your brain too, in the moment, like you focus on observation, what's happening, you're you're grounding yourself in the moment and you're taking notes and you're doing like, you're doing some perceptual checks too, by like, like, like be that qualitative observer, write down like an ask, ask the questions. Like I'm noticing these, these nonverbal behaviors from my colleagues. And when so-and-so says this, they react this way. And if you just start sort of documenting that for yourself and then following up with some actual questions where you're checking your perceptions, like that you're not making the situation worse, right? Like if, right, it, right. if it doesn't call the situation, doesn't call for your reaction or response, right? Like, but you're still gaining some control in that right? for the better, for the better of the situation, right? Like getting data, getting information, what's going on in the situation? How am I reacting? How am I feeling? It, it helps. It helps. Yeah. 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 I mean, I do think that, that it helps. Um, it, I mean, it, it positions you to have a, a decent outcome. It might not be the outcome that you want, Right. But again, that bar of what success is may change. Yeah. Right. Um, and and you're more likely to accept it when you've also accepted that success is not going to be way up here like that. That's off the table. <laughs> not reality. Right. Like why? Yeah. Is something that isn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. What um, what makes this constructive as the name of our, our show is today? Well, you know, all these things that we're talking about, like, to me, it goes back to the uh, one of our initial conversations around competition versus cooperation. Like, competition is great for, like, athletic events and board games and whatnot. But, like, when when it's the business of, like, people, right, like, interacting with other people, working together working together to help animal like like animals be well i mean we got to activate our cooperation side and so like to me like competitive techniques for conflict resolution is not building anyone up it's, t- it's you know in some ways you're, yeah. you're tearing up people down you're trying to focus on who's winning and who's losing but it's constructive when you can cooperate and focus on how can we both get something out of this like how can our needs both be met to some capacity that's constructive that's working towards progress that's building um and that's getting us closer to like those benefits of of mm-hmm. conflict which is problem solving and change and progress and enhanced trust and like you know creativity and stuff like that so that to me is like getting yourself out of that competitive mindset is is going to help you make this conflict situation more constructive yeah. All right. Yeah. Wow. So uh shift in mindset, folks. And yeah. did drop a few of these um the gems in the um online chat. So shifting that mindset, active and curious listening, um, taking the mental timeouts uh, um after you've learned what your triggers are. Cause sometimes we don't even know. It's just I like know. you know. Yeah. <laughs> where did I hear that? What is that? Right. But really kind of figuring out what those triggers are, um, taking those timeouts, um, really working on that emotional regulation, which, you know, again, we often think of toddlers. We often don't think of like 40 somethings who still have trouble emotionally regulating. (laughs) And who are like in charge, right? Like, like if my toddler was in charge, like, oh my gosh, but, but it's the reality sometimes, right? Yeah. 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 
And so, you know, and then using prompts to gain perspective. And again, that shift in that mindset, always come back to that, um, to a partner perspective. So, um, and and you can't control other people, right? Like you cannot control other people's reactions. You can control your own reactions and the things that you do by engaging in some of these techniques. Yeah. You can only control your own stuff. Yes. (laughs) Any parting words, Heather? I just, I enjoyed this conversation, Lisa, and I appreciate your your whole perspective and all the hard work that you're doing. And I'm, I'm glad you're like, we're saying like, we got to keep talking about this, right? Because it like, you take one course a couple years ago and like, but you've never practiced it and you don't like think about it again. And then you're the next second you're in a conflict. You're like, I've forgotten everything that I'm like supposed to do. And this still feels bad. Right. Yeah. Um, so keep, keep engaging in those conversations and, and, and do the work and reflect. And there's a lot of resources out there to sort of um, help you get better. We should all be trying yeah. to get better. Yeah. And I mean, you know, a lot of times we think about this in the context of, um, you know, um, the work environment or school environment, but this is just like life skills. This is what I tell my daughter. Like, these are just life skills. This is adulting. (laughs) Yep. And it's going to help. Like if you get better at it, it's going to touch every aspect of your life. How cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Heather, Thank you um, so much for uh, making time out of your busy Sochi schedule to come on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Fascinating discussion. We'll have to continue um, sometime offline. <laughs> We're going to make that simulation. Um, and yeah. It'll be great. Oh, Take- so stay tuned. We'll we'll see. <laughs> but don't hold us to it like this year. So <laughs> a little bit. Because we're busy. <laughs> But um, so this has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. My guest, again, Heather, thank you so much um, for joining me for today's discussion about conflict resolution. Um, For our viewers and listeners, be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube. Hit the little bell, thingy-majig, subscribe button, um, and be sure to look for us on your favorite podcast app. Um, We'll be back soon with another show. And until then... Thank you.